Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. I really feel God has quickened me afresh uh, towards the whole issue of prayer, intercession in particular. You know, that's what I um, was birthed into, um, you know, when I got saved and what have you. And let me pray. Father, we give you thanks today for the greatness, the majesty, the utter power of your gospel, of what Jesus Christ has done. And Father, we do thank you where we are called to be a people who are led by your spirit, who abides in our spirit. We thank you, Father, that it's not your will that anything take us by surprise. The word says that you will show us things to come by the Holy Ghost. And that you would teach us and that we are to be difference makers. Every individual who is born from above is to be a difference maker, a world changer in their own area of influence. And I just want to thank you, Father, afresh for a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit upon each and every one of us. That revelation would come of who we actually are in Christ. That revelation, actual revealing, Holy Ghost, that's your job is to reveal. You're the revelator. You're the one who shows us what often is right in front of us. You're the one who blows away all the dirt and the mud and the silt so that we might see our own calling and the giftings that you've placed within us. And I just want to give you thanks, Father, again, for breathing afresh on each of us that a true spirit of supplication would come upon us. Literally, that you would baptize each and every one of us afresh with the, just a simple understanding that it's, we do need to draw near to you so that you could draw near to us, that you're the solution. I don't care what the problem is in any given aspect of life on planet Earth, Jesus Christ is the solution. And, and we just want to continue to magnify that name above all names. And we ask you to help us, Father. And I just pray this morning, Lord, as we move into something, uh, again, just walking over familiar ground. But I just pray, really, that you really would grant us that spirit of wisdom and revelation. That you would really just turn floodlights on in our heart. That we would even hear that where you said our hearts might be flooded with light. That you want our hearts to see. Not just our eyes. You want us to see with our heart what's going on around us. And so I give you praise this morning, Father. And I thank you for your help. I've asked you for help. And I know that you are the one who quickens each and every one of us. So quicken the word to us today, Father, and help me to communicate some of the things that you've been putting in my spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? Amen? Let's, let's just, let me say it again. The fear of the Lord. Now remember, the word fear doesn't mean to be afraid of. 
It means to reverence. It means to give reverence to. It means to be have your attention drawn to. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. If there is no fear of the Lord, if there is no reverence for the fact that God is God, hear me, if there's no revelation, if you haven't made the decision to believe that God is who he says he is, then every measurement you make your entire life will be tainted, will be off one way or the other. Did you hear me? Every measurement you measure life by, relationships, anything, will be off by virtue of the fact that you don't have, first and foremost, the revelation of the fear of the Lord, that we reverence him, that he is. He that cometh unto God must believe that he is. He that cometh unto God must believe that he is. And yeah, that he is faithful. He is faithful. So again, we're just introducing this whole issue of intercession. Last week I spoke about how all intercession really has its roots in the the understanding of the priesthood. And I don't know if you remember those of you who were here last week, but the major thing about the priests were that they were to stand before God so that they could stand between man and God. Before and between. The priests stood before God so that they could minister before people and so that they could make that difference, so that they could bring down what heaven has. The first verse I want to read today as we start this before we go to Isaiah 59 is, is Job 9, verse 33. Job 9, verse 33. Job is the oldest book in the Bible chronologically. It's the very first writings um, that were ever put together as far as the Bible. And Job, this is Job speaking, and he says in the Amplified, There is no umpire between us who might lay his hand upon us both. Would that there were. In the King James, it says, Would that there were a daysman. There's no daysman, D-A-Y-S-M-A-N. There's no daysman between us that might lay hands on us both. And he's talking about on God and man. And the word daysman, it's in the Latin, it's, it's, I can't pronounce it correctly because I don't speak Latin, but it's, it's, it's spelled P-O-N-T-I-P-L-A-X, pontifax. But it literally means a bridge built. A bridge built. And Job says, oh, everything is going, I would that there was a daysman between us that might lay the, his hands on us both. So I want you to get this picture from the very beginning as we begin to study and go deeper into really afresh what it means to operate in the prayers of intercession, much less what an intercessor is. If you can get this picture, look up at me for a moment, finding somebody that can lay their hands on God and lay their hands on man. Somebody that's in between. Amen? Somebody's in between. Somebody that can make the connection like electricity. Someone that can connect with God and be a bridge so that what God has begins to flow through them to manifest whatever freedom, deliverance, healing, revelation needs to come. This is the whole truth of why Jesus came. Jesus came as the great intercessor. And we're going to look at this some more right now. So I want you to turn to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59 is is maybe the paramount chapter in Scripture when it comes to intercession as far as showing us a picture of what it's supposed to produce. 
Now, remember in Ephesians, when Paul prayed there, he said, I pray for, that you might, he said, I want you to pray with all manner of prayer. Prayer for king. He said, there's prayers, there's supplications, and there's intercession. And there's a difference between them. That's why he gave different words. There's a difference between prayer and supplication and intercession. And we'll talk about that later. But right now in Isaiah 59, if you would, if you can, let's just go there. <laughs> now, the first few verses, of course, are cardinal to us having any understanding why we're here. And it says, behold, verse 1, Isaiah 59, the Lord's hand is not shortened at all that it cannot save, nor his ear dull with deafness that it cannot hear. Now, we have to stop right there and ask, us, ask ourselves a question. Do we believe this? Did you hear me? You have to answer this. Do you believe this? <clears throat> it says... The Lord's hand is not shortened. In other words, just, there's no problem on God's end. There's absolutely no, absolutely no problem on God's end. The Lord's hand is not shortened at all that it cannot save, nor his ear dull with deafness that it cannot hear. And of course, this is Old Covenant, but nevertheless, we're going to look at verse 2. But then he, the prophet says, but your iniquities have made a separation. Everybody say separation. A short circuit. Electricity again. A short circuit. But your iniquities. Now, iniquity isn't just sin. Iniquity speaks to weaknesses. It speaks to the New Testament word infirmity. The inability to produce results. That's the definition of infirmity. The inability to produce results. And he says here that your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. I'm going to read all these verses. We're going to wind up reading the entire book and just stay in this chapter for the whole morning. Uh, but, you know, I want you now as we go through these, again, if in a Bible school you would take every verse and you would literally take every verse apart and look at the etymology of the words and you would see that the types and shadows are in the midst of all of it. But we're not going to do that. But I just want you to, to listen to the absolute, well, to put it this way, in the Old Testament, God's people weren't that cool. <laughs> God's people always messed up. They always disobeyed. They always broke covenant. They back and forth. In fact, I was reading the other day in Isaiah, I think it was Isaiah 52 or 53, it's amazing. God actually called his own people. He said, you are like, he said, you're like waste matter to me. He said, you're like scum and waste matter to me. I mean, you know, that waste matter means what waste matter means. But the idea that the people had separated themselves from God so far that God himself looked upon them and he said, you know, what? You know, what, what is it with you? You know, I've come and I've shown myself to you generation after generation. So basically, this is the situation all through several chapters of Isaiah. God's trying to call out to his people through the prophet and saying, look at this stuff that you've been doing and ask yourself what it's produced in your life. Is this really the kind of life you want? I'm, I've, you know, I've called myself. I said I would be your God and you would be my people. But he said, you keep you know, wandering away from me. And you don't know how to make the difference between the sacred and the secular, as it says in Scripture. Anyhow, so I'm going to read these next, like, ten verses. And let's not worry about them until we, because we just need to get to the verses where it talks 
about intercession itself. Anyhow, so verse 2 again. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. In other words, when you continue to knowingly screw up, when you make decisions that you know to be against the will of God, when you know that you know that you know this isn't really God for me, this is not something I should do, and you do it anyhow, that's bad because that's unbelief. That's, even, that's, a, that's worse than sin. But anyhow, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Our actions either create closeness or separation. And that's the way it is in all life, isn't it? The people around you, the words, their actions either create a closeness with them or separation from them by virtue of how they respond to your, to your life. Verse 3, again, talking about Israel. He says, for your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. And I, I want you to catch this part. Verse 4, he says, and none sues or calls in righteousness. In other words, he said, there's nobody that's standing up for righteousness. None, there's nobody suing. It literally says going to law. None sues or calls in righteousness, but for the sake of doing injury to others, to take some undue advantage. No one goes to law honestly and pleads his case in truth. They trust in emptiness, worthlessness, and futility, and speaking lies. They conceive mischief, and they bring forth evil. They hatch adder's eggs and weave the spider's web. You study that out, that talks about gossip. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from an egg which is crushed a viper breaks out, for their very nature is ruinous, deadly, and evil. Verse 6, their webs will not serve as clothing, nor will they cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil. I mean, they run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, desolation, and destruction are in their paths and highways. The way, verse 8, the way of peace, and I've got to tell you, you've heard me say many times in this church, all Christianity is really learning what the peace of God is. And he says, the way of peace they know not. The problem with everything is they don't know the way that leads to peace. The way of peace they know not, and there's no justice. Everybody say justice. Because what we're going to learn is real intercession always has to do with justice. God wanting to bring justice for a given situation. And you'll see the word everywhere. Two words we're going to look at, justice and truth. The way of peace they know not, and there's no justice or right in their goings. They have made them into crooked paths. Whoever goes in them does not know peace. It's very important to God that you know peace. Did you hear me? There's too much noise in the earth today. There's too much confusion. There's too many voices. You know, and we, we've got sound around us all the time. And it's like we, we've, we've somehow or another, we've abdicated our ability to be quiet. We don't know how to be still before the Lord. We really don't. Our mind is flashing about five billion times, you know, a second. And we're constantly thinking about this, that, and the other. And you have to train yourself how to be still and know that God is God. But anyhow, he says, they have made them into crooked paths. Whoever goes in them does not know peace. Verse 9, therefore, because they don't know the way of peace, therefore are justice and right far from us. 
and righteousness and excuse me, yeah, righteousness and salvation do not overtake us. We expectantly wait for light, but we only see darkness for brightness, but we walk in obscurity and gloom. Verse 10, we grope for the wall like the blind. Yes, we grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noonday. I mean, when the sun's at its highest point, as if as in the twilight. In dark places and among those who are full of life and vigor, we are as dead men. Verse 11, we all groan and growl like bears and moan like doves. I've done a lot of counseling in my life, and I can tell you that that verse is true. <laughs> we groan and growl like bears, and we moan plaintively like doves. We look for justice. Now, I want you to catch this. As like I said, intercession has to do with justice. True intercession is about bringing justice to an unjust situation. So there's so much in here about why we need to know the will of God for ourselves. We need to know how heaven sees things. Heaven has a different perspective than most of us. Heaven knows that this is just and good, or he knows this isn't just or good, but he, he wants it to be. But again, we look for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. Verse 12, for our transgressions are multiplied before you, O Lord, and our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know and we recognize them as, thir verse 13, rebelling against and denying the Lord. I mean, every one of these you could put a bullet point to, like we used to in Bible school when I teach this. We recognize all these things as, number one, rebelling against denying the Lord turning away from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and muttering and moaning from the heart words of falsehood. Verse 14, justice is turned away backward, and righteousness, uprightness and right standing with God, stands far off, for truth has fallen in the street the city's forum and uprightness cannot enter the courts of justice. Verse 15, yes, truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey, and the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no what? What? And it displeased, the Lord saw all of this, and it really displeased him that there wasn't any justice. God's always looking for a place where there's justice. But this is remarkable stuff. Like in, back in verse 14 again. Verse 14 said that justice is turned away backwards. In other words, something's happened where there's just no justice. But I want you to catch this statement in here. It says, for truth has fallen in the street. Now just think about that phrase. Truth has fallen in the street. Now when you think that through and you study it out, he's actually saying truth was there. Listen, truth was there, and that's interesting because we know a few things about truth. We know that Jesus taught us that truth will make you free. Where truth is, freedom lingers very, very near because truth waits for us to grasp truth and apply truth to the facts of our life. 
so that we might begin to experience the freedom that only truth brings. Truth brings freedom. Okay? But I want you to catch it. It says, but truth has fallen in the streets. Now, I didn't bring my lexicon here to woo you or to wow you with all my incredibly intelligent wisdom that I have in those areas. But the word that when it says truth had fallen in the streets, it speaks of something that had been standing erect that has fallen to its, you know, fallen to its knees. And what I'm trying to get to is this. There's, you know, when, when we pray, like those, most of us here have been taught in some manner about what we need to pray New Testament-wise, like Paul said, we are to pray the Word of God, aren't we? Very simply, in other words, we need to pray what we know the will of God is, right? You don't pray the problems, you pray the solutions, right? That you learn to return to God His Word because not one jot or tittle of His Word will fail. That that connection that, you know, we know that this is God's Word, I put my hand on God's truth, and I stretch that hand, I stretch that truth throughout my whole life to the, to the issue that I'm dealing with. But it's truth that makes you free. It's simply, the, it's just the way it is. Truth makes you free. When you finally see something and you finally, I mean, a lot of people know the truth about things. Julie's always trying to get me to know the truth about Dr. Pepper. Constantly. That's poison. I, I rebuke you. I rebuke that. I rebuke that. But you know what I mean? There, there are things that may be injured. Well, I mean, you know, like, you know, we're in Cyprus and, you know, because of my surgery and all that stuff and having all these immune suppressants, they said, now, Mr. Anderson, even though you're from California and you've been sunbaked most of your life, made me laugh. That's actually what they said. They said, you know, with the immune suppressants, you mustn't be in the sun more than 15 minutes at a time. And so I shook my head and said, yeah. But then it ain't no way. When I, when I got over there and have an opportunity to be with my wife in the villa and sit there at a private pool, I ain't going to sit in the pool for no, I mean, sit out there for no jive 15 minutes. So, you know, I, my mama used to say, I tan real easy. She said, you're like a good turkey. You baste well. I'll let you, whatever that means. The juices rise up and I, I can tan easily. But whatever, you know, it just, but, you know, and, and even when I came back, and of course I had a little tan and, because of the immune suppressants, you have to go to a dermatologist in King's College Hospital. It's mandatory after a transplant that you see, start seeing a dermatologist for uh, two years after the transplant because stuff become, it's easier for things to break out, particularly on your face and what have you. And so you, it's the most humiliating thing on the planet to walk into this. You have to see this dermatologist. You have to walk in. you got to strip. I mean strip. You know, and they look at every part of your body and say, okay, then, see, nope, yep, yep, nope, 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 yep. You know, and then, man, you're going. And especially when it's a teaching hospital and they have some young 20-year-old girl and say, well, do you mind, Mr. Anderson, if this can be here with us? And I said, yes, I do mind, actually, in this situation. I don't want no 22-year-old chick looking this incredible physique of mine. You know, I, hard enough, I pray for Julie to have the strength to endure but I mean, you know, she looked at me, this, surgeon, this doctor, this dermatologist, and they've got to know me, you know, because it's been a while now. And she said, oh, Mr. Anderson, she said, looks like you and I are going to become very good friends. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, if you're going to keep going to the sun, you're going to come visit me a lot more often. 
because you're going to have things all over you and you know, don't do it because you know you shouldn't do it. But she said that stuff is truth. But there's part of me that rebels. I'm being honest. I'm still going to sit in the sun. Sorry. I said all that to say <laughs> truth is something you have to listen to and you have to obey if you want the benefit from it. That's all I'm trying to say. In whatever area there is, and everybody in this church has something in front of them right now that, quite frankly, they don't need to be prophesied over because they already know that something, it isn't really valid. It doesn't stand in the light of truth. But you made your choice, and you're going to continue to rebel, bless God. And the point of fact is, in many cases, you rebel to the point that you reap the consequences of something you didn't want. And again, this works with relationships, you know, anything, my God, man. But anyhow, I want, the thing about truth falling in the street, it's, this is what, you know, when the Bible says to decree a thing, it says, and decree a thing and it shall be established. The word decree is the one I was referring to earlier. The word decree literally means to make that stand upright, which has been laying down like this. It literally means to make that stand upright, which has been lying down. We, I, truth was there, but listen, this is the issue of intercession, but there was no one upholding that truth. Did you really hear me? See, someone has to trumpet the truth. And every single one of us, even in our own lives, we have to keep the truth coming out of our mouth. If we ever want our current situation and the fact of it to change, you really do have to understand this. But when it comes to prayer and intercession, this is crucial. A lot of people pray what they think the will of God is. This is why one of the safest prayers on the planet Earth is, Father, thy will be done. You know, uh, the, uh, the part of the church, you know, the church, I've shared this before, like I said, but I got to go back to it. The church that I was part of in California before I came here, you know, I was in charge of intercession. We had about 250 people to 300 people every Monday night that met for intercession. You know, we were a larger church. And the time came when these old building, they were looking for land to build a new church on. And basically, and there were two possibilities. This this land right in Rosedale, as if you just out in, two pieces of land in my hometown, that uh you know the, the possibilities were. I had been gone for like two weeks. I came back to the prayer meeting, and there's nothing worse than finding out that when you have a group of intercessors, quote unquote, that it's like the intercessors are about to split up <laughs> because one group of intercessors. Believed with all their heart, this piece of land was where the church should be built. The other group of intercessors thought it was this piece of land that it, it, you know that it was to be built on, and what have you. And I could, I came in. I remember coming back, and I just cracked up. I said, you, you, "Hello, <laughs> do you really understand?" You're, you know. But the question is, I said, "Listen." I went up to the blackboard. I said, "Here's this piece of property. Here's this piece of property." But I said, "Let me ask this question." You know, how many of you have children? Many of them put up their hands. I said, "Okay, how many of you would bet?" I mean, you're so sure that this particular piece of land is what the church needs to build the church on, the next church on. 
How many of you were absolutely so sure from heaven God has spoken and you are persuaded by the Spirit of God? It's this piece of land. How many of you would bet the lives of your children on this being, on, you know, are you that sure? And, of course, everybody went, <laughs> you don't know. And I said, you've got to understand something. It is true. The Bible says that agreement is the place of power. And I said, the point is this. You see, some people in prayer think that they have to become. Now, please bear with me. I know there's many, many areas that you need to cover when you talk about prayer. God does want us to be specific in particular areas. But there are other areas where, bless God, you just don't know what the perfect will of God is. And that's why, again, the only prayer that you actually can pray in faith is thy will be done. But that means it has to come from faith, not from just mind-filled, soulish utterance. You know, well, okay, the will of God be done. No, it's when it comes from the gut, Father, thy will be done. That's when angels respond. That's when heaven begins to work. Alignment begins to come. Because, again, you're in harmony. Prayer is learning how to be in harmony with heaven. It's not about you always having your way and praying what you want to pray right this moment. Remember, the power of God in our lives comes from humility. And humility means to be selfless. This is why intercession, not just prayer, bog standard prayer, but the whole issue of intercession, why it's the most powerful force of ministry in the church is because true intercession is always selfless. Because intercession is always about going before a king in behalf of another. It has nothing to do with you. Did you really hear me? If we're going to be accurate... Intercession. You can't see. Here's again. I, I, the church goes to war about different words. You know, semantics. Does everybody know what I mean by the word semantics? Semantics simply means how words are used, and we can get all shook up about particular words. But intercession. You, I, I, people get mad when I say this. I, this, you can't intercede for yourself by virtue of the true definition of the word intercede. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why that upsets somebody. I'm just saying, if you want to get accurate, I have learned in my some 35 years of working with this book that it does pay dividends when you start to actually work with it, become, you know, study to show yourself approved or workman that needs not to be ashamed when you begin to rightly divide the word and, and understand, take more, understand that it's important. The more accuracy you get, the quicker results come. But again, I don't want to fight over, well, I can intercede, whatever. You can pray, well, actually, even, i got to slow down, i got to turn Anyhow, let's get back to the point, otherwise I'll go in 30 directions. In Isaiah 59, the prophet Isaiah says, Truth had fallen in the street. Again, Job, decree and declare a thing that it might be established. It's only when we begin to decree truth that it will be stand upright and be enforced. I want to say that again. I want you to actually hear that. Truth can lie flat. You can have 37 Bibles in your house. 
and they can all be open to your favorite passage. But until from your heart comes those truths, you will not experience the freedom that God wants you to walk in. Did you hear me? The word of God, truth has to be upheld. Truth has to be lifted up and pronounced over situations, declared over situations. Truth was there. Truth, the Bible says, Jesus said, truth is where the freedom is. Truth never fails. Well, truth, quote unquote, you could say failed there. It didn't produce what truth was intended to produce because there wasn't anybody declaring it, having a strong enough constitution to to proclaim it in the midst of the injustice that all of Israel found itself in. In It's justice and truth. The answer to injustice is truth. I said the answer to to injustice is truth. Things being unjust, I'm sorry, unjust, unjust. But please, I want you to catch this because this whole thing, he goes through all these verses about all the problems that are within his people, all the ways that they transgress, the speaking rebellion, not following God, blood all over the, you know, just doing their own, going their own way constantly. And it comes down again and said, let me read verse, start from verse 14 again. Justice is turned away backward and righteousness and uprightness and right standing with God stands far off for truth has fallen in the street, the city's forum. And uprightness cannot enter the courts of justice. I mean, I wish you would work with those verses a lot. There's a court of justice that wants to uphold God's way. But until truth is proclaimed, until somebody stands up and says, this is the truth, I don't care what anybody else says. I mean, this is the truth. There's one God. And like we said, you know, world events, all the things coming, I think God's going to really like it it broke my heart i don't i mean i'm just saying it this thing that happened in nice my my heart just i just you know i i began to grieve so deeply for it and i i began to experience things that i used to experience many many years ago when i've spent hours and hours in prayer and you know i've told you guys these stories before but god wants you exercised you exercise yourself towards godliness. He wants you exercised in the revelation of prayer and what it means to commune with Almighty God because he wants to use you. Do, you. do you not understand this? Every single one of us in this new covenant are God carriers. God in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everywhere you go, it's not just a clever thing to say. God goes with you, Right? And so he wants us, you know, the whole revelation of the gospel and the Pauline epistles, he wants to wake you up to the fact that it's not just about us coming into a bless us, bless me club. It's about us walking out there, having our radar finely tuned that everywhere we go, we look and we think, what's, I know that every answer is in me by the Holy Ghost. Every, what can I, what can I do here to bless or to set someone free? What can I do to help here? I'm a helper. I'm a world changer. I'm a difference maker. I go out of here with the knowledge of the most high God. 
I've got every answer that the world could ever need inside of me if I would just learn how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And that opens up the whole other thing that we'll talk about another time as well. Everything that's in the earth, the television, everything, the media, has done an incredible job, a satanic victory of desensitizing us. This thing happens in Nice. What is it? Three or four days later, and most of everybody's just done already. You know what I mean? It's it's something just very sad. But that was four days ago. Four days ago, an idiot did this. A demon did this, and stuff happens so much now. We just kind of shrug our shoulders because it's kind of like we expected. You know, we're just wonder where the next thing's going to be. But see, when you study prayer and you study the men of God of old, the women of God of old, this is why you do go back to Rees Howe's old book, Rees Howe Intercessor. And you read stuff about this guy, World War II. You read about things that were turned, how he prayed them out months in advance and how things absolutely happened exactly as he saw it in prayer, that many battles were won through one man's prayer life. I mean, what do you do with that? But see, this is what we have to come back to. We have to come back to the fact, are we actually carrying the authority of God? If we are born of God, and if Jesus Christ is our Lord, do we actually have the authority that he said we have? Uh, Behold, I give you authority and power over all the work of the devil. And nothing, say nothing. Nothing shall by any means harm you. You know, Is that just something we spit out because it makes us feel really strong for a moment? And then you forget about it the moment you step outside and start hunting your cheeseburger? The mighty men, the mighty men and women of God in the Bible, the mighty men and women of God that we like to read about in this hour are men and women of God who really have surrendered themselves to a place where they're God inside minded all the time. Where they walk with the constant, with the consistency of revelation. I've God is my friend. We sing about it, but God actually is my friend. And yeah, I really am loved by God. So I'm not gonna spend the rest of my life in church wanting God to Help me be blessed because I feel so guilty here and I feel so guilty there. No, kiss me, kiss me, bless me, bless me, kiss me, kiss me, bless me, bless me, kiss me, kiss me. I go to church because I want somebody to sing the right song. I want somebody to touch and bless me and make me feel all cuddly and warm. Because, you know, the, you know what? God will bless you. And it is, he will allow you to, when you first come to church, when you first come to Christ, to experience his hospital. In other words, you'll get healed. The idea is to get healed, but you're not, are we supposed to spend the rest of our life just putting bandages on the people that we have? Or are we supposed to be like what was prophesied over us? Most churches are, but I mean, the words used about us is an apostolic sending center. In other words, where, do you ever graduate to the place where you actually walk out of here saying, hallelujah, this is the one chance in the week we get to come together as a family. We come here to worship God and to hear from God so that we can go out with God and let God be seen by other by the rest of the world. 
It's about going out there and letting them see we serve a living God. This is not telling Bible stories. This is walking out where you expect things to change, where you have, you, you like Julie said many, many years ago, you know, you walk around and you, be, you ask yourself questions. Why am I here? You know, you're doing life just normally, but you step into a situation and whatever, and suddenly, rather than just going, oh, crap, <laughs> seriously, you sit and you go, okay, Lord, why am I here right now? And you start looking around. And, and suddenly you see uh, like a woman and her child crying or a seven-year-old that's going flipping nuts, and, you know. And, you know, and you just know that I'm here right I'm here to pray just this moment. And, you know, you see, when you really believe God, and, and I, I, don't, I don't really, God help me, there's nothing in this I want to condemn. That's not my heart at all. But something, it gets exciting to me when I drive, I forget who it was many years ago. I think it was Andrew Murray in the School of Prayer. But he said arrow. He used to call them arrow prayers. He said these little like one phrase statements that come from the heart of God in your heart when, you're, when you see somebody. And it's like I remember, you know, like I'd see a child that the mother, you know, a little shot, mother screaming at this child. And you're thinking, my God, you know, Father, protect this child. You know, please, Lord, protect this child, bless this child. But, I mean, you know, as you drive down the street, as you're on the bus, as you're on the tube, I mean, just that's part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. You begin to look and think to yourself, well, but, see, you need to believe that every time you pray, something changes. Otherwise, you're playing games. God stopped me all those years ago, and he said, I'm trying to teach you every single time you name that name of Jesus all of heaven stands at attention, waiting for the next prayer, the next words that come out of your mouth, because your prayers change things. And, you know, that's something that he, God, says to every one of us. You have to make the decision to believe that. Otherwise, you will be religious. Form without power. Form without any strength whatsoever. It's belief. And again, this is why we had to be taught faith. It don't make no difference if you to see anything right now. It really doesn't. You have to get to the place where that question is answered. I actually don't care because my reputation is not a stake when I pray for the sick. It's his reputation, not mine. All I know is he said, lay hands on the sick. Right? And they shall recover. Lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus and they shall recover. You know, they're not going to recover quicker because when I lay hands on them, I go, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not going to lay, they're not going to get healed any faster because I slap them on the left side and slap them on the right side and we boogie and dance in a circle for a moment. See, again, we begin to think it's our methods that make the difference. And again, as you've heard me say, the Bible does not teach methodology. The Bible teaches Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Okay. So anyhow, truth had fallen in the street. When you decree and declare a thing, it'll be established. Somebody has to take truth, get it in their heart, get it in their mouth, and begin to speak it for the power behind truth to produce what truth produces. Every word of God, not one word of God, is vacant of power, the Bible says. Every word of God is a tangible 
capsule. Sometimes I like to think about, I used to love watching, and you've probably never seen it, but I was when I was really young in America, they had all these black and white uh, films called Victory at Sea, and they were all this true World War II footage of the sea battles and what have you like that. And, you know, and they'd show these pictures, of these giant 16-inch shells and, you know, 12-inch shells and 10-inch shells and how these battleships had to know just when, you know, moving this way because when all these 16-inch guns cooked, you know, cooked off, you know, it's, it's incredible, incredible mass of power that's taken because the whole ship, this gigantic behemoth, you know, is knocked over. And prayers are capsules. Prayers are like cartridges. You can have, I mean, I grew up hunting and fishing and what have you like that. In America, grew up with all kinds of weapons. And, I, you know, I had a, in my closet, in the top area of my closet at home, you know, the, the entire things were boxes of shells, shotgun shells, rifle shells, pistol cartridges. And the thing is, you can have, it's like I said, 27 Bibles. This thing is full of power, but somebody has to fire it. And see, what I had to understand is that I'm a rifle. But I have to get ammunition. But then somehow, someway, I need somebody to point me. I need to be pointed. And see, God's the one that he's the one I'm in his hands. And he's the one that takes careful aim. But I've got to accept the fact that he's given me He's given me the responsibility of putting the right amount of powder, of black powder, mixing this stuff right, of hiding the word of God in my heart. Hiding the word of God in my heart. The very word rhema remembers. Remember the difference between the word rhema and logos. The Bible says we are to pray the word. And it says they're to pray the rhema. Logos means the whole Bible. But rhema, right out of W.E. Vine's Dictionary of New Testament words says Rhema is not like Logos is the whole Bible. Rhema is that particular scripture that the Holy Spirit brings up into your remembrance for use of need, for, uh, for use in time of need, the prerequisite being the regular storing of the mind with scripture. Now, I, I, gotta, I want to quote that again. That's still one of the best teachings you can ever have when you teach on praying the word from Ephesians. A Rhema is that particular verse that the Holy Spirit brings up into your remembrance for use in time of need, the prerequisite being the regular storing of the mind with Scripture. Ramas are what make differences. If you have no rhema, you have no power. So you have to know the Word of God in a given situation. But I'm taking so long with this, I need to really get to this next bit. Verse 15. Yes, truth is lacking. Again, you can study every single one of these verses. You can read Isaiah 50, well, 58 is all about fasting. 57, read about that. 56, 55, you read backwards and all the things that are happening. But then it's, it's amazing, he comes up with this. Yes, truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. In other words, all this stuff is happening. But what happens is the Lord sees this. But really, really, do we really believe what he's about to say? All of this stuff, all of the mess that Israel is in, God's people 
all of the corruption, all of this, this spider web contamination, all this stuff that's just in and out and so messed up, torn up, gathered together in knots that you can never get it undone. It says the Lord saw it. Just like he sees what's going on in the earth today. Let me tell you, the Lord knows what's going on in the earth today. And let me tell you, it's again, not trying to be melodramatic. The Lord's not surprised. The Lord's not even bothered for a second. Do you hear me? Because he knows, he's prophesied from the beginning all through the scripture. This is why the Bible says, you know, we shouldn't be taken, we shouldn't be shaken. He said all things, because he said all things that can be shaken will be shaken. I mean, he really did. But the issue is, can you be shaken? Anyhow. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. Of course, now here's verse 16, the classic verse that is the solution. Evidently, if we're to believe scripture, is the solution to everything in the previous 13, 14 verses. He said, but really, see, act like you've never read this before. And he saw, let me, the, the last part of verse 15, the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. Verse 16, and he saw that there was no man. Now this is where the issue of a true intercessor, the definition becomes clear. I mean, it is an incredible, and again, as the Sundays that I'm speaking, I'm going to keep on this until, I, until God says otherwise. But here's the difference. Here's something that you have to believe. He says, and God saw it and wondered that there was no man singular. We'll go to Ezekiel 22 about standing in the gap, building the hedge. There was no man singular. All through scripture, you find a multiple, multiple, multiple times where deliverance came because of one person. Think about it. Ruth, Esther, one person. Deborah, yes, darling, mustn't forget Deborah. Deborah liked dates. That's the only reason Deborah's cool, because she liked dates. That's meant to be a joke, because she sat underneath the date tree. Father, forgive my wife for interrupting me. He wondered that there was no man singular. And see, this is where the rubber meets the road. At some point, when you really do study this stuff out over the years, like I said, and Reese, how all these old books about people that were true intercessors, I mean, people that they literally, you know, all the names that are running through my mind right now from the books, I mean, one person, I mean, like a Jackie Pullinger today, you know, one woman, one woman going behind the walled city in China. I mean, one woman, man, one woman and her devotion to God. But one person, God can birth you into a place where he calls you not to intercede. you got to hear me now. But he calls you to be the intercessor for the situation. All of us can pray. 
all of us can intercede. But an intercessor, from Rod Anderson's vantage point, from what I've learned, an intercessor is someone who God throws a mantle on for one particular cause. Where there's injustice, and God will use that woman, or God will use that man, to bless God, bring some justice where there isn't any justice or where that justice has fallen in the street. One person. But intercessors, true intercessors, I forget the thing I quoted last week even that says, you know, to, an intercessor, an inter, true intercessors pay a very high cost because of what they go through, literally, and what happens to them. Sometimes, and this this will mess up your theology about healing sometimes. I mean, sometimes intercessors have really, really, really been racked physically. They didn't stay that way. But they were racked up physically because of what they were called to do, because of where they were called to bring a freedom from, too. Now, I, I like I said, I really want to, get through this, so I'm leaving a lot of stuff. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor, no one to intervene on behalf of truth and right. And I shared this with you last week, but that word wondered, remember, God wondered that there was no man, no intercessor. You look it up in a lexicon, it is funny, the word wondered literally means, quote, to be stupefied with amazement. Think about that phrase, to be stupefied. So turn to your neighbor and give them your best, your best shot at what it would look like to be stupefied with amazement. Ayana, stand up and show the people. Stand up, show the people. But really, think, of, think about, here's God, but think about what that's saying. Here's Almighty God who's given all the tools to mankind, who supplied mankind with this covenant, who supplied, supplied mankind with, with his truth. And he is up there going, you've got to be kidding me. All this is happening, and I can't find one person to intervene? With truth, that's heavy. I mean, really, it's like, you know, the old story where that's the old joke, you know, did you know God has a flat spot on his forehead? That's when he's looking, he's looking down at watching us on earth, and he goes, <laughs> throughout all eternity, he's going, my God, these are my, these are God's people. But they constantly rebel and they go off and all of this injustice is happening because they've made all these mistakes. I'm willing to forgive. My mercies are brand new every morning, but they continue. But there's a key that unlocks. He said, but I, I'm, I'm, God, I'm stupefied with amazement that there's no one singular to intervene. Say intervene. Now, why that's powerful is because over the years in church, you'll hear people talk about things, and you'll say, you know what? 
you know, the only, I don't know how that'll change unless there's some divine intervention. How many of you ever heard that phrase used? I don't know how that's going to change unless there's some divine intervention. <laughs> what you learn in real intercession is divine intercession is when somebody listens to divinity on the inside of them and begins to intervene. Divine intervention comes from somebody who knows God. It's the truth. Now watch. And he saw that there was no man and wondered there was no one, there was no intercessor, no one to intervene on behalf of truth and right. Therefore, guess what God does? His own arm. Arm always means strength. Hand means to control. His own arm brought him victory. Of course, this is speaking about Jesus Christ. Therefore, his own arm brought him victory, and his own righteousness, having the spirit without measure, sustained him. Verse 17, does this sound familiar? For the Lord put on righteousness as a breastplate or a coat of mail, and salvation as a helmet upon his head. Now, this next part, again, I I would take a whole class and and speak on this. He put on garments of vengeance. He called these garments, an intercessor wore a garment called vengeance. In other words, I'm going to make there to be repayment for what's been happening. But it says he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he was clad, this is the mantle, with zeal. And see what it says in the Amplified for zeal? What's it say? Furious divine jealousy. Now, you've got to catch that again. There were times when I'd be in prayer in situations, and I'm not trying to pat myself in the back, but, you know, I used to scare myself. (laughs) I mean, uh, and again, forgive me if you think I'm trying to pump myself up. I'm not. But I would spend hours alone, and I'd be praying. God would, there was something on me that that I was praying about, and there were times when I would find myself praying so hard, so strong, and so loud sometimes that I thought, you know, this is, I'm getting squirrely. I mean, you know, my spirit has got the strength come out of it. My head's still, you know, you can pray, you know, you do learn, you start praying beyond your understanding. And you're, something's happening so strong coming out of me here that my head would go, my God, you're crazy. You're going nuts. <laughs> you know, something. Rod, slow down. Be cool. Chill. You know what I mean? But over the years, I had learned at times. Now, this, see, the thing is, again, there are, this is why so many pastors, when the real move of intercession, intercessory prayer teaching began to happen, you know, decades ago, it created a huge separation between, quote, unquote, real intercessors and pastors because too many intercessors were wacky. In other words, in the name of intercession, they created separation between them and the given authority of the house. And, you know, and realistically what happened is real pastors began to doubt all intercession because some of the wacky ones that were out there saying, you know, behold, I saw a pigeon turn backwards and had to have five heads. And what what God is saying is that, you know, and, you know, and they're, the, they're asking the pastor, can I please come and share this with the church that God showed me in prayer? And you go, no, you may not. Seriously, but you know, all those, I mean, for years, you know, we watched that happen. But anyhow, uh, you see, if real, quote, oh gosh, there's so many areas to talk. Intercession, now, again, put it in the car park where I said somebody's called as an intercessor. 
intercession can come on you in a moment. But that doesn't mean you have to let the whole church know it. I mean, back in the day, you know, uh, Kenneth Hagin, Bobby Jean, Mark, and uh, all, all these, what have you. I would, if something, you know, the spirit, you know, the Bible says, what's it, how do I, what's, I'm forgetting the verse uh, about the spirit, the gifts, and as the spirit wills, uh, you know, oh, never mind. But I mean, I, I, I learned sometimes I'd have something come on me. I'd have this, oh, man. Oh, God, i got to pray. I mean, I need to pray. And see, there were many people that always thought, I need to go up and interrupt the whole service. You know, I need to go up there. Bless God, because I have prayer on me, and I'm going to come up and make sure everybody knows. No, I had to learn from others who taught me, go outside, go sit in your car. You know, it's, it's the power of God's actually doing something and trying to show you something now doesn't mean it has to be public. Because, again, the power of real prayer is when it's selfless, when you're not, you're totally, that's why it's so awesome when there's no one else around but you, because you don't have to worry what somebody else is going to think, you know, about what you say. Because again, people do, you know, people can freak you out, you know. Oh, man. (laughs) But it says, be clad, Jesus, it says that Jesus was clad with furious divine jealousy. Now, does the Bible teach Christ in you the hope of glory? See, sometimes something would happen with, with me, and anybody who's really been used in intercession will say this, it's had to have happened. There's sometimes where this actually, I mean where this happens, where, bless God, there's fury. I mean fury, divine anger. But it, he said it's furious divine jealousy. You get absolutely over-the-top angry about something that you know simply isn't just. This is not right. This is just simply not right. You know, it's like when we went to prayer for for Tiffany and Justin's daughter, Hannah, when she got hit by that car in her head. You know, thank God she's out of hospital now after 122 days, perfectly back to normal. But, I mean, it's like when something happens and you have, I mean, a divine... Furious jealousy. Jealousy means, you know, you're looking at something else again. There's a, something that's, bless God, I refuse to let this happen. In the name of Jesus, this is not going to stand. But you can't just start screaming in the middle of a service. You can release yourself. You can go outside be someplace. I mean, when Julie and I have told this story before, and God help me, because I really don't, you know, it's just that I love, this is my life topic here with this and the love of God. And I, I don't know, man. Let me just read and tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. <laughs> Instead of telling stories. So therefore my own arm, his own right arm brought salvation. For he had these cloaks. He was this and this and this and was clad with furious divine jealousy. Verse 18 says, according as their deeds deserve, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries. In other words, Jesus came and really kicked the hell out of the devil. You can get mad at me if you want to think I'm cussing, but I'm not. But he made no small effort over the devil. Remember, he cast him here and there and otherwise into utterness, nothing. But it said, according as their deeds deserve, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. On the foreign islands and coastlands, he will make compensation. Now listen to verse 19. I probably just need to stop. I really do need to stop. I'm sorry. Now listen, if on the Amplified, it should be up there. 
The Lord stopped me all those years ago. I had to read this like 40 times. He said, read this. It says, so as the result, let me just read the whole verse and I'll come back. So as the result of the Messiah's intervention, the arm of the Lord, right? So as a result of the Messiah's intervention, they shall reverently fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in, now I know we always quote this, even Ayana when she was up to lead worship said this, and it's okay, but you, I do want you to be accurate about this. It, we quote it wrong all the time. We quote it this way, when the enemy comes in like a flood, let me tell you something, anything, any doctrine that maximizes the devil over God is heretical. And I, you've got to catch this right here. You've got to catch this because in the Hebrew, it says when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will rise up. Listen, all over the Bible, when it talks about the spirit, it talks about water, living, where the spirit of God, you know, there's living waters, living waters. And it even says in the Amplified, it says when the enemy shall come in, put a comma right there, like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him and put him to flight for he will come. He with the capital, he will come like a rushing stream. Out of your belly shall flow what? Like Julie's trying to get us to pray in tongues more. I'm trying to get us all back to praying in tongues more. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the breath spirit of the Lord drives. Hallelujah. You hear me? But now let me finish with this like a candle. Now let me read from the top of verse 19 again. God said, read that again. So I read it. He says, so is the, so I said, okay, so is the result of the Messiah's intervention. And he said, so who's the Messiah? I said, well, he's Jesus. He said, read it again. So as a result of the Messiah's intervention, they shall fear the name of the Lord. He said, so who, who's the Messiah? I said, well, I, he's your son. He said, read it again. So as a result of the Messiah's intervention, they shall reverently fear the name of the Lord from the West. And so, and so anyhow, time constraint. Finally, I got it. He said, what is this passage about? In context, what's verse 16 say? God was stupefied with amazement that he couldn't find one man, one, he couldn't find an intercessor. Jesus Christ, very simply, is the great intercessor. He came to stand before God and man. He did it successfully, even right now. Does his ministry continue? Yeah. He lives right now at the right hand of God, ever willing to make intercession for us. He knows everything, everything. This is why intercession is no light topic. Everything Jesus did is encapsulated in the revelation of intercede, coming between God and man. Hallelujah. Building a bridge between God and man. But finally, I got what he wanted me to say, and I want you to catch this, and we'll have to put a thumb mark here until next week. He said, read it this way. He says, who is the Messiah? And finally, I got it. He said, I said, the Messiah was the great intercessor. And he said, yeah. He said, now read it right. So as a result, now you got to catch this though. So as the result of the intercessor's intervention, 
And I just stopped. Because the revelation began to hit me. Everybody's talking about divine intervention. Everybody's waiting for God to come down and do something. When God's already up there, he's given us his spirit. We're baptized, filled with the spirit. It's not waiting for divine intervention. God's waiting for you and I to divinely intervene. We're the ones that makes the difference. We're the ones that get in the gap, which we'll talk about next week. He said, so as a result of the Messiah's, so as a result of the intercessor's intervention, people will begin to fear the name of the Lord from the West, the glory from the rising of the sun. Because of the of intercessor's intervention, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord will begin to lift up a standard like a flood, and he will wash those enemies away. Well, I mean, there's just so much more. But this is incredible stuff. He's looking for a man. You and I, I'm going to say it again, are called to be life changers. We're called to be world changers, to be difference makers. We're called to be so to have so much understanding of, of God in me that when we walk out of these doors this morning, we walk out of these doors like bristling. There's like this stuff is on us where we're going, you know, I'm a difference maker. It's not my reputation that's at stake. God's in me. I have the name. I've been given the name. I've been given the name. I've been told to go out there and pray in his stead. All of heaven's authority is behind that name. And I get to bring the weight. The weight. One day when I was by myself in prayer, those days I remember he said, you know, the, the weighting, the weight, how much, how much weight his name carried. And I, I found myself, I, I, I don't know, I just kept stretching my arms out going, the weight. And you know, when you, if you've ever had something like, oh God. You know, whole freezer, refrigerator or something, the weight of this thing. And he said, you need, again, this is why you have to study about the name of Jesus. You have to understand that that name has weight. It's got all the weight of heaven. And I get to go out there, not in my own strength, but go here, take a little bit of this, will you? <laughs> yeah. Boom. You know what I mean? And just watch what he can do. Hallelujah. Anyhow. So, Father, help us. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 